um, what we've been seeing happening already and what we envision for the future. And so uh, Sunday night, February the 12th, uh, we're going to gather here at 6 o'clock, and we're asking you to bring your favorite dessert, and we'll provide the coffee, and, and we're going to be here in this location. And so if this is your church, if this is your body that you connect with, we would encourage you to come and participate in that. We'll give you a financial update and let you know um, how things are and where we're at and, and where we're going. So uh, why don't we stand to our feet as we do, as we stop at this time every week and we, we speak out loud. There's reasons why we do these things as a community and we speak these words together. And so um, this is our creed. This is what we believe in. So let's speak this this morning. We believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. If you welcome um, Pastor Ed this morning, he's got a little birthday coming up this week, so give him a birthday clap. He's ready. 39 or 40 or something like that, somewhere in that range. You I'm just a, look thank awesome, you, man. Brent. You're just so young and yeah. spry. Actually, I'm 25, but life has been hard. Good morning. We're in the midst of this uh, Awaken series, and as Pastor Brent just said, two weeks from yesterday, we have our Awaken conference. I want to invite you to pull out your cell phones. Instead of turning them off, turn them on. And we're going to do a little survey here this morning. And uh, when you respond to this in real time, we're going to see the numbers on the screen. I have a couple of questions to ask you, which is going to give you a little bit of a sampler of some of the assessment we're going to be doing at this conference or at this uh, workshop. And if you see the text is 2713 So if you get your texting ready, 2713 you need to answer these, one of these two questions. Either your answer or you're, you're texting loud to prefer to work around others, if that defines you or describes you or you prefer to work by yourself. So if you prefer to work to, around others, text loud to that 27138. If you prefer to work by yourself, text quiet to 27138. So let's do that now. All right, let's go to the next slide. If, you want, if you're the person that loves being on the action... Text loud to 27138. And if you're a person that prefers solitude and serenity, text quiet to 27138. And then let's look live at the, uh, at the slide to see what's going on. Can you throw that up? It's exciting. <laughs> Can we see it? It's not working? Oh, that's all right. This is lying to you. What happened last, uh, last two services is that we, we're a, fa- a community of mostly extroverts. 
And um, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> so that means you're loud. Praise the Lord. Um, what's, what's interesting about these traits, uh, it's one of the assessments we're going to be doing, is it, there's 16 possible kind of orientations of them that speak a lot to how you live, what you like, how you're married, what kind of jobs you enjoy doing, how you, enjoy, how you like to work. It's just a whole bunch of stuff that we can awaken to that help us understand. Interestingly, my wife, Gail, uh, comes across as more of an I or an introvert in this assessment than I do. I'm more of the E or the extrovert, and which, which I never realized just, you know, that's why I finally figured out when I took some of these assessments why there was something wrong with her. You know, I was the, she's the introvert. She loved being around, you know, kind of quiet and around certain few friends. And, you know, if you go on vacation, she'd like to be by herself. I mean, by three or four days early on in our marriage when I was in, you know, on a vacation or something, I, by the third day, I'm wanting to knock on door and say, hey, Ed Gunger, how are you? <laughs> because I feel energized by being with people. She feels energized by being a little bit more by herself and a little bit more with just intimate few others. And, uh, you know, so I'm the guy that if I'm, and I used to be an extreme extrovert, because you can actually grow and, and, you know, move away from what you are naturally. You can actually grow and not be such an idiot. But, um, uh, but I was an extreme extrovert, which meant if I went to a party until 2 a.m., I leave the party ready to go to the next party, right? My wife, or oh, she, she wasn't an extreme introvert, but extreme introverts are the kind of people that if they go to a party, and spend a reasonable amount of time there, let's say a half an hour. <laughs> they're ready to leave. It's not so much that they're party poopers, it's that they're pooped by the party. It's that kind of thing. So what's interesting is you start, we dig into some of these things. We'll talk about giftings, about strengths. I mean, you're going to want to be here. It's going to be fun. There'll be coffee, donuts, maybe some bagels, maybe some free trips to Hawaii. You're just going to want to be here. It's going to be wonderful. Okay. Now, last week, we, were, we started drilling into this whole business of awakening to our place in the story that God is telling. And we were talking about the fact that sacred text claims that each one of us is a dream come true from God. That's what it claims. That we were his forethoughts. That we were beings that are not the result of chance, but that we're beings that are the result of his plan, which is quite a claim. It's quite a faith claim. Because how you think about this informs your life. It will be formative in your life. And so you, as a, as a person, have got to wrestle with the claims of Christ. They're true or they're not true. You've got to come to that place in your heart. We read you a text from Psalm 139, which is this great prayer song that Israel and then the church has sung for thousands of years. And in this prayer song, they would say, your eyes, God, saw my unformed body. And in the context of this Psalm 139, you can go read it. He's talking about when we were inside our mother's womb, that God actually formed us to look the way we look, to have the things that make us laugh, the things that make us cry. I mean, the the, the ways that we respond to life, the, the preferences that we have, the interests that we have, the talents that we have, or the lack thereof, it's all on purpose. And that God formulated us in order for us to fit in a story that he's telling, the one who's author, producer, director, God. And that we can begin to participate in this dream that he has about us, where Paul actually claimed God chose the exact time in history you'd be born. Well, what if that's true? And the exact place in which you'd be born, that family that you're part of, 
That God was engaged in that, that God was involved in that. The psalmist goes on to say, you saw my unborn body in all the days ordained for me. This, this, this plan was written in a book, in your book, before one of them came to be. The only other place that I'm aware, well, there's a couple other places, but the other place that sticks out in my mind where God talks about a book in regards to us is in Malachi 3, where it says that every time we talked about him, Malachi 4, every time we talked about him, that we would write it down in a book. God writes it down that we're talking about him. <laughs> That's sweet. Anyway. This idea of a book has always intrigued me because I've always wanted a peek. Peek in the book. What is God's dream for my days? What is God thinking about me? And I think that, I think that when God thinks about us, I think that, that, that we have to understand that we're part of his story that he's calling us into. And that the reason he calls us to holiness or the reason he calls us to follow him or the reason he calls us to faith is that somehow as we open our hearts and begin to experience him in our lives... He positions us to fulfill those pages. Now, early on in my faith, Proverbs 3 came to mind. And as I was reading it, I really felt like the Lord spoke to me. And I want to give you a couple of thoughts from this particular text. It's Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It's not that God doesn't want you to have understanding. Because God actually wants us to use our brains which is a shock to some. But, not to, but he doesn't want us to lean on it. In other words, not trust ourselves. Why? Because your own understanding is limited. You're only partially omniscient. Right? You need God, and believe it or not, you need people. God called us to community, and part of our understanding has got to be put up against the understanding of others. And one of the things we'll deal with uh, on this Saturday workshop is talking about finding our place in the community that we need to be a part of in order to understand where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. So we're not supposed to lean on our own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God. In all whose ways? In all your ways. That surprises some people because they tend to think, well, wait a minute, it's all his ways. Some people think, unless God tells me exactly what to do, I can't do it. I shouldn't do it. And so they're reserved. They're on pause. They only do the things that God explicitly tells them to do. So they never really pay attention to their ways. See, God has some ways in you. There's some things in you, interests in you, abilities in you, gifts in you, strengths in you that God wants you to employ. And God wants you to engage in your life. And, to, and there's a word that's used a lot in Scripture, wholeheartedly. You know, we're supposed to jump into stuff wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, because we're not sure it's tapping on our giftedness. Right? He wants you to jump in, not be half-hearted about stuff. He doesn't want you to approach your job. You say, well, I'm not sure this is the job that ultimately the job that God has for me. Listen, jump in it wholeheartedly anyway. Because it's when you jump in wholeheartedly that all of a sudden the gifts that you have and the strengths you have come to bear. If you jump in half-heartedly and hold back your stuff, you approach life like a vitamin, minimum daily requirements, then what will happen is you're just, God can't bless that, right? So you jump in with all of your heart, you, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and then, I love this, he'll make your paths straight. No, I like this, because in my mind, I, I don't know why it was, but it, er, early on in my Christian experience, I kept thinking that following God was like following this, the narrow path that was crooked and precarious, and I really had to, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying? Instead of understanding 
that if we will learn how to live, what we're supposed to do will get in front of us at the appropriate time. If we just focus on trusting the Lord with all our hearts and not leaning on our own understanding, and in all our ways we just simply acknowledge Him, which means give Him right of veto, that He will make the path straight. You don't have to worry about winding because this path will become straight. In other words, you will walk straight into God's will for your life. Which means, honey, God is a whole lot more interested in how you live than in what you do. And so we start finding out, what does that mean? How do I acknowledge God in all my ways? How do, I, how do I begin to trust the fact that if I have an interest or an opportunity comes to me and I start doing it wholeheartedly, but I keep acknowledging him, what does that look like? It looks like verses like Ephesians 6, where this, this is an old text that's kind of disturbing because it's talking about slavery, but if we put it in modern terms, it would be employee, employer. And it says in Ephesians 6, 5, employees... If, we're, if you let me do that, obey, obey your earthly employers with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. Notice it's not who the employer is, it's how you're approaching the employer. Just as you would obey Christ, even though you're sure they're related to the Antichrist. <laughs> obey them not to win their favor when their eye is on you. This isn't just a human thing. But as slaves of Christ doing the will of God, notice the will of God is more how than what? From the heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving Christ himself, not people, because you know that God will get involved and he'll reward you. In other words, your gift will make room for you. You'll end up where you need to be. You just need to trust God that wherever you are, do it with all your heart and bring everything you've got to bear in that context. See, doing this kind of thinking and approach on the job is more important than which job you're supposed to have. If you bring into whatever job you're in this kind of attitude, you will end up into the job God ultimately would have called you to and the place he ultimately would have called you to do. The reality is, is that most of us want God to tell us exactly where we're supposed to work, but we don't know how to work. Why would God send us there? Because when we get there, we won't represent him anyway. We represent ourselves, our selfishness. So acknowledging the Lord means you're kind of giving God right of veto. It means that you're, you're, you're following your heart and, and, and the things that he's already put in you. You're trusting that your interests and that kind of thing are part of him and that you can engage with life wholeheartedly. That's part of it. But also acknowledging the Lord helps you to bump up against him. And when you bump up against God, you end up smelling like God. When I was a kid, I, I don't know what it was in the 50s they used, and 60s, I think, you know, America, those of you that are old enough to remember this, got real sensitive about stinking. So it, that's when all the perfumes started and the deodorant started and the mouthwash started. I mean, it was really, before then, we stunk like the rest of the world stinks. But we got real hypersensitive about smell. So I think ladies used to put on what seems like to me now that they used to put more perfume on in the 60s than they do now. So I remember, you know, being, you know, I was a little guy, chubby face, and chubby face kids get hugged a lot. It's one of the... One of the problems being chubby. <laughs> so this, I remember getting hugged by these ladies. They'd squeeze, they'd just, oh, you're so cute. They'd squeeze and put their face on my face. I'd walk, i stink like them for an hour because they had all that perfume on them. See, when you hug somebody with a lot of perfume on, you walk away and you have that perfume on you. This, this, this is God. Anytime we lean into God and acknowledge him, somehow 
we bump up against him, his fragrance gets on us. Paul talks about it in Galatians 5, how God smells. The fruit of the Spirit, it's love. It's that ability to set preciousness on people irrespective of how they act. It's joy, which is an anticipation that something good's going to happen. It's peace, which means you're, you're working, that everything's appropriate. It's, it's patience, which means not everything has to go the right way, and you're okay. It's kindness, which means you're solicitous. In other words, you're disposed to showing favor. That just gets on you. You just, you just recalibrate. You lean against God and just want to be kinder. You, it's, it's goodness, which speaks to motive. It's faithfulness, which means you're kind of willing to stick in there. It's, it's gentleness, which has to do with how you confront. It's self-control, which means it isn't about you. This stuff gets on you when you acknowledge him. And then you walk into a situation and you're just different. See, God's not really calling us into the world to represent ourselves. He's calling us into the world to represent him. We're not unlike, <laughs> the best analogy to me is the moon. Because if you really look at the moon, it doesn't have a lot going for itself. No atmosphere, can't really live there, kind of stark. If you look closely, lots of craters and a dark side. Right? And the truth of the matter is the only thing the moon has going for it is borrowed light. So if it focuses on positioning itself just right, at different times it shows more and more light. And then every once in a while it full lights you. And you go, look, the moon is shining. It isn't shining, it's borrowing. See, that's us. We do not have a lot going for us. If you really look closely, we're pretty stark. We've got craters and a dark side. Right? I mean, the best thing we do is position ourselves by acknowledging him, by acknowledging him. And we catch a little bit of stink, a little joy, a little peace, and we just get fuller. The more we acknowledge, the fuller we get. Our call is to moon the world. God be praised. (laughs) See, when you bring... (laughs) When you you bring these energies, think of this, into a friendship. That's why God can lead you to certain people because he knows you'll bring these things into that. It's not that he wants you just to have certain friends or, 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 or marriage. If you bring this stuff into a marriage, it's more important than who you married. It's not that who you marry isn't important. I mean, you have to have... There's certain basic rules that you need to go by, compatibilities you need to look at. I, I, I get that. But, but the reality is, is that there's no perfect person that will forever just capture your imagination and you'll just be amazed. I mean, none of us are that good. We just aren't. But marriage is not just about finding the perfect person that all things are well after that. Marriage is a lot like joining the rodeo. You get on and you hold on. And <laughs> ushers. <laughs> but see, I'm telling you what, you, you lean in and acknowledge God in this and you bring that sweet and you bring that kindness and you bring that love and you bring that gentleness and you bring that attention. And I don't care what has happened. I don't care what hurt has happened. 
God can make your marriage to that person S-W-E-E-T baby. Sweet. But see, it's the how more than the what. It's the how even more than the who. And if we, if we can let, understand this, that God is encouraging us to take on these kinds of perspectives that make us people, that when he plants us in a job, whether it's McDonald's or McDonald Douglas, or he plants us into a friendship, or he plants us into a church, that we just make it better. Because we're full of this stuff. We're like salt. And how many of you like salt on your eggs? I mean, I like eggs. But a little bit of salt, slap your mama. <laughs> right? Salt. Mmm, I like salt. Right? See, when you step into a friendship, when you step into a job, when you step into a church, people ought to go, it just tastes better. Then, if you're like that, where you are is important to God. Who you connect with is important to God. What you do is important to God. Until you get there, doesn't matter. You haven't learned how to live. That's why Jesus spent all that time just being a human before he entered his thing when he wanted to at 12, remember, start. One more text about that that I love is Philippians 2, where Paul writes, he said, if you guys have had any encouragement from being united with Jesus, if you've ever been comforted by his love, if you've ever had any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you know where you get kind of a buzz out of it, it's sweet. If you've ever had any tenderness or compassion, what you need to do is, is, is use all that energy and move toward each other so you think the same. Have the same kind of love. Being one in spirit and purpose. Why? You need to use energy to do that because it's so hard to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh. In humility, consider other people better than yourselves. Bring the spiritual energy so that each of you don't look at your own interests, but also on the interests of others. Your attitude needs to be the same as that which was in Christ, who didn't he call, regard equality something to be grasped, but he empties himself, becomes a servant, and goes to the point of dying a death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him. In other words, it was living in the way that Jesus lived that brought him to the place to do what he did in a way that mattered. That's true for you. True for me. Imagine having a friend or a coworker like this <laughs> where, where you, you could lean into them and you realize they're not full of greed. They're not full of avarice. They're not full of lust and fear. They're not driven, but they're wholesome. It doesn't mean they're perfect. You don't have to be perfect. In fact, a big part of Christianity is the fact that we are, don't claim perfection. We just confess our sins. We just tell people, I am an idiot. And I'm telling you, there's something very powerful about owning you're stupid. It really is. One of the most defining moments with, between my father and I, and, and you know, it, it, it really, it shocked me in a way that was formative. My dad was a physician, and he ended up, he was busy all the time, and we're three boys, actually four boys, and, uh, but the three boys were the oldest three, and we were sons of Satan, <laughs> we were really bad. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so every once in a while, my dad had to, you know, he'd come in so late, and sometimes he had to discipline us. And so one particular night, I had been particularly bad, and I was in bed already. My dad came home, and he came upstairs, and he had to give me a whooping. 
And he lost his temper, which didn't happen a lot. But he lost his temper, and he gave me a whooping, and I, you know, kind of cried out in anguish, even though it, it, the crying was much worse than the actual pain, because I found out if I scream really loud, it mitigated the slapping. <laughs> anyway, so after that whole thing happened, I'm in bed for about 20 minutes, and uh, my dad comes back up, opens the door, comes in, and the door was slightly open. I could see his face from the light of the door. He knelt down by my bed. And I kind of looked up at him, and he was crying. And uh, he said, uh, he said, son, he said, I am so sorry. I lost my temper. I, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. In that moment, his vulnerability and his confession meant more to me than if he had been perfect all his life. There's something wonderful about knowing all you have to do is own your stuff. If you're, if you're inappropriate with your, you know, on the job or you've been a little too loudmouthed or just own it. Go to the people and just confess that you. Would you forgive me? I am really sorry. I jumped all over you. I apologize. You don't have to be perfect here to shine light on the world. You just have to own your stuff. See, what I'm suggesting to you is this great text from Jesus about Jesus in Hebrews 7. Jesus became a high priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. What God's calling us to are lives full of eternity. Lives that are full of life. So that when you step into somebody's world, you're impacting them with eternity. And sometimes you're doing it, they're, even, they're not even aware of it. I, when, I, when I think back on people that have influenced my life, It wasn't always the gifted, amazing people that were beautiful and powerful. In fact, most gifted, amazing, beautiful, powerful people just make me feel bad about me. (laughs) That I'm not so beautiful, etc. The only people that were gifted and powerful that ever really impacted me were the ones that set that aside and actually cared about me as a person. Somehow it's, it's people's everyday care. One of the guys in our church where I grew up, I was a high school student. Brother Hamloth, he would always tell me after church, how are you, Ed? I'm praying for you. Is there anything you need I can pray with you about? He just leaned into me. He wasn't a leader. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't talented. He was just kind of a fuddy guy, you know, like Elmer Fudd. And, uh, but he cared. And I, I remember being surprised by how much he cared in a, in a genuine spiritual way. And uh, I ended up going to visit him on the farm. His family had a whole farm. And he said, you ought to come out to the farm. His family invited me out there. And so I went out there one day. It's out in the middle of nowhere in uh, um, Willard, Wisconsin, where the rats are. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Little tiny farm. He's been there his whole life. I don't think he'd ever been out of the state of Wisconsin. And he he showed me around the farm. took a few minutes and showed me the animals. And he just loved his animals. He loved the farm. And as we're going back to my car to leave, we're walking along, and then I, you know, I noticed he stopped, and I turned to him, and he's pointing out to a field that's just, just to the side of where the car was on the driveway, a cornfield full of corn. And he said, look, right over there, right over there. And so I, I kind of leaned over to see where he was pointing from his hand, from his point of view, to see where he was pointing exactly. And when I looked back to him, I, tears are welling up in his eyes. And he said, I, I was standing right there, I was eight years old, and God met me in that field. And he said, I, I felt like he was smiling at me being on this farm. I've been on this farm all my life. 
And, and I remember how much that impacted me. I didn't say a word to him. In fact, he's long since gone home to be with God. And he never knew how much that moment impacted my life through my life to this day. You know, most of the time we influence people, we have no idea. God uses people. You, that's why when you get involved, it isn't about you just sticking your gifts out. It's about you learning how to live in whatever you're in. Gifts to me, callings to me, are always secondary. They're important, but they're not primary. But gifts to me, callings, are like fingernails. They come out of us, but they're not us. And if you're not careful, you'll make your whole life about the nails. Did you ever, did you ever, did you ever see that? Uh, look it up, the uh, Guinness Book of World Records. There's a guy in there from India, I think, who has 18-foot-long nails. They're nasty. Like, they curl up, you know. I mean, they're nasty. But just think about it, if that was you. Your whole life would be about the nails. Everyone around you, their lives would be about the nails. Don't want to watch the nails! Don't play around me. Can't throw the kids up in the air. Can't eat a sandwich. Need a help wiping over here. <laughs> it's all about the nails. Do you, know, do you know how many people, they make their whole lives about their business, about their calling, about their giftedness, about their ministry. <laughs> and they don't have real lives. And their kids don't have real lives. And their lives are pale. See, you live like that, and you pro- if you make it all about the nail, you'll have either a very pale life or you won't make it very far because you can't sustain that. That's why very, very gifted people end up their whole lives becoming destroyed because they don't spend enough time understanding what we're talking about this morning, that you are more important than what you do. And so in this series of Awaken. We want to talk about your gifts. In fact, we're going to focus on those primarily on Saturday, on that Saturday here. But we want you to know you matter and that your gifts, even though they matter, they're secondary. One more story about that. My father, the doctor, he had, he was an amazing gifted shot giver. I, I used to have asthma when I was a kid, so I got a lot of shots. There were some nurses that were from hell. They give you a shot. I don't know if they wiggled it. I don't know what they did, but it hurt like the bejabbers. But my dad, had a gift. I mean, he'd give you a shot. It's almost like he didn't feel it. It's almost like he gave it to you. You didn't even, you done? You're done. It was amazing. But even though he was a gifted shot giver, he was a physician. So when you walked in, he wasn't just thinking, you know, everyone I meet, my calling, my purpose is to give people shots. <laughs> so when you walked up to him, he'd go, want a shot? Want a shot? I give shots. I'm good at it. You want a shot? You'd think he was r- ridiculous. But what you do is he'd say, how are you feeling? What do you need? What are your symptoms? And if you happen to need a shot, he'd go, you're in luck. I got a shot right here and I'm good at it because I'm gifted at shot giving. See, gifts are good. They're not primary. And if you don't, if you make them primary, you will always be reserved in what you get involved with because you're not sure your gift is coming to the fore. (laughs) Now, I'm... I need to close with this. Let me have uh, Sue come up. Um, this is an example of what we're talking about. Every year we do, uh, we have a couple of times a year that we in- invite people to participate in the community. And there's all kinds of things to participate in. We've got volunteerism from everything from coffee area to mops to, you know, the wizard, just all kinds of different stuff. 
And, and one of the areas that we always have to have a recurring volunteerism thing involved in is with children. And it's interesting, children are one of the places that are explicitly said in the Bible that adults team, seem to dismiss, unless, unless they're yours. So what happens is that, you know, when Jesus wanted to bring them, the disciples are going, get them away, get, them away. get those things away, those children. <laughs> and it's easy for us to think that way. But as a community, we need to own the fact that we need to care for our kids. But one of the problems that comes into this thing is that we think, well, I'm not sure I can give them a shots. But here's the good news. You participate in whatever, whether it's your job, whether it's in children's ministry, whether it's in any kind of volunteerism, wherever it is, if you engage with your heart, your gifts will start coming forth in those contexts. And God will bless you. So here's, here's the throw. This is this morning... It's a bait and switch. I'm actually trying to get you all in children's ministry. It's the spiritual gift of manipulation. So we're hoping you feel sufficiently guiltified. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we need help in kids. We are now doing three services, as you know, and it's about 60 to 70 volunteers per weekend to make that happen just in kids. So uh, we have a lot of help need. Um, we have need in babies. We have need in the older grades. At this campus, we have currently first through sixth grade meeting in one room. We would like to divide that. The only reason we haven't is volunteers. What do a first and a sixth grader have in common? Not much. <laughs> one's learning, you know, processing, coloring in the lines, and the other one's going, okay, kids are bringing knives to school. I mean, so uh, it's so vastly different. We've really... <laughs> That's just in the Christian schools. She's talking yeah. about this. And some homeschool situations. I hear <laughs> so we need help. Um, we even do volunteer hours. If you're in like a younger person and need NHS or hours, we do that. Um, a story that came to mind was Robin Peck, who I don't know if you've met her, but she works in the first through sixth grade room. When we first asked her to help us, it was at the other campus, she was a mother of two twin boys who were four and a newborn, and her husband travels all the time. So any, if any human on the planet had a reason to be too busy to help, it was her. But she jumped in and she said, listen, now, now it's been a few years later, and she said, um, I want to tell you that when you first asked me to do this, I was less than enthusiastic. However, since I've done it, I've never been more fulfilled. I was at Sanctuary five years before I got involved, and I never felt connected. And now I feel like it's my church. I feel connected. I feel like I've never had more of the word I'm sharing with the kids. And we found that in the TU study that we did, the people who were most satisfied with this church were those who were engaged. So if this is truly your church, we need your help. So we have a table right out there, and we would love for you to join us, even if it's one time a month, two times a month, whatever you can do in any area, even the check-in if you don't like kids. We need help helping. If you hate children, check in, children. We can, you know, you can help at the computer because we need help there too. So... Please come see us, and we appreciate you. Thank you, Sue. Wonderful.
Now, we, we get it, honestly. We get that there are people coming to our context that, you know, you've been burned out by other kind of contexts and you're here just to sit back and enjoy and kind of, you know, sip on some uh, pina coladas spiritually and, um, and, and just relax. And we get that. We, we invite that. We don't want you to feel guilted, really, by any of that kind of stuff. But some of you are here and uh, this may not, you know, you, I want to encourage you, just jump in, be involved, and you'll, you'll be surprised at how God actually, the reaping, sowing thing actually works. Godspeed. David. You stand with me this morning. Let's lift our hearts to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. Amen. This morning, we have people up front for prayer. We also have sign-ups in the lobby. Also, this week, Friday, if you're not doing anything, Ben Kilgore and the Brilliant.